we did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network, Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. I am not an anti-modernist. I think nostalgia and modernity are like Jekyll and Hyde, part and parcel, are interconnected because nostalgia emerges as a distinctly modern disease. The term nostalgia was invented by Swiss graduate student in 1688. So uh, it is specifically modern symptom, a reaction to modern experience of time. Uh, and nostalgia is often perceived as longing for home, longing for space, but it's really longing for another time or different rhythm of time. So it's very important to think what's the antidote of modernity. Do we want to go back somewhere to some utopian golden age, to the other space? So for me, there are two different concepts, perhaps modernity and modernization. I do not embrace every new gadget on the market. I do not feel we have to rush with this crazy pace of time and crazy multitasking and because I believe that there is something of a new rhythm of time that prevents critical thinking because now this neuro neuroscientist discovered that thinking takes time and our contemporary culture does not allow us to take time or to make time for thinking. So this is why I go back to the whole idea of nostalgia is also longing perhaps for another rhythm of time. Perhaps we can have a slow thinking movement. There is a slow food movement in Italy. Perhaps your film can be called slow thinking. But I must say that I do believe that perhaps there's something else, something Fast food! Popular, solely to popular culture, to religion, or to three fashionable works of the time, nothing wrong with fashion. But I think the important thing is just to expand, give perhaps not immediately purposeful knowledge, but just to kind of expand the field of possibility, to give, to enable our students to take their freedoms and to find their own zigzag paths towards, towards them. I'm part of several social media 
groups that broker in nostalgia. There's one about Montreal historical photos. That's Mario's site. There's a French one called uh, La Nostalgie. There are two for the Eastern Townships, uh, Les Three, uh, one's in French, one's in English. I uh, used to belong to this uh, this one called Montreal Memories, but the monitor, <laughs> this guy named Barry booted me off. Uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm sitting here this morning, I'm drinking from a Montreal Starbucks coffee cup, um, and I really am kind of weird because when I wrote this I was drinking from the cup but now I'm recording it so I'm really drinking from the cup um and it's one of those been there deals you know I picked it up at the Dorval airport last winter I, I have to say that Starbucks kind of got their research right there's um let's see there's a bagel um what else is on here a hockey stick smoked meat sandwich the Biosphere, Champlain Bridge. But then there's like stuff that just doesn't make any sense to me, right? Um, there's a motorboat. Okay. Um, there's, there's something that looks like the White House that I don't quite understand. There's, there's even like product placement. There's a Starbucks Frappuccino next to a hockey net. <laughs> what got Barry mad was my my unwillingness to participate in reflective uh, nostalgia, what the writer Svetlana Boim refers to as a longing for a home that no longer exists or has never existed, a romance with one's own fantasy. Reflective nostalgia leans heavily on collective memory, the idea that we can we can all agree on things, right? We can all agree, and I'm, I'm simplifying things here, but we can all agree that Montreal was a better place when the Expos were playing, the Habs were winning, and you could still buy two sippy sacks for 10 cents at your corner Peretz. As any great contrarian can tell you, and... Uh, the Montreal writer Christian Gravener is one of them. Uh, there's a danger in collective memory. Uh, I'm, I'm no longer one of these guys who firebombs uh, websites with my negative attitudes and experiences. I'm kind of past that. I will occasionally, though, if invited, join the dance. I've posted in the site Ted uh, Sharbrooke C, which um, is again, one of these uh, Sherbrooke memory sites. Um, you know, I've little things that I've found uh, along the way. For instance, like found concert notices in the papers about, you know, a local harmonium or, or Offenbach concert from 1978 or something. And, and so I'll, you know, I'll clip that and put it in the group and everybody is appreciative. Oh, I remember that. I wish I was at that show, you know. What a great show. I was there. Um, uh, that kind of thing. Um, but, um, you know, you, ne you must never forget that ultimately I'm, I'm a troller of information on these sites. Um, and I'm not only looking for specifics of local color. I'm also watching behavior. People have memories, 
and some of them they can't let go. It astonishes me uh, how much people remember. They'll post like classroom photos from the 50s and 60s and instantly people will come out of the woodwork um, and catalog all the names of the people. I mean, I can't do that. Um, I can't name my classmates from Pierrefonds Comprehensive High School in the 78 or Fathers of Confederation Elementary School. I, I, I wouldn't have a clue. I remember Miss Weston. That's really about it. Um, and then I might be, you know, there was a guy named Jeff. Uh, there was a girl named Christine. Um, but these people that, you know, they'll, they'll catalog it. They'll tell you what they're doing now, who they married, uh, who has died. So sad that was. Remember that factory on the corner of this and that? What was there before? Oh, well, before the factory, there was that gas pump there. And that guy, that guy that had that chip wagon. This is collective memory. It's also selective memory. It's amazing what people don't remember or choose not to remember or forget or don't tell you that they remember. It's also worth noting that Svetlana Boim also wrote that the 20th century began with a futuristic utopia and ended with nostalgia. Recall that George Melier's silent film, uh, Le Voyage dans la Lune, based on the Jules Verne novel, was first publicly screened in the spring of 1902. I uh, only go dark uh, when I'm invited to. So uh, someone posted, uh, uh, qui est cet ancien joueur du Canadien Mertier, who is this former Montreal Canadiens player who is also a murderer, posted a photo of the guy, you know, one of these guessing game things to occupy the time. So immediately people respond, right? He was my neighbor. When I was a kid, he smoked a big cigar. Oh, I don't know this story. A story not so glorious for no glorier. Qu'est-ce qu'il fait? His name is Tony Demers. And this is what he did. This is who killed Teresa. Before beginning a full disclosure, there was a bit of zeitgeist cryptonesia going on. Uh, some zeitnesia, cryptogeist, some 
Zydonesia, if you will, last uh, month, uh, Mario Pompetti uh, posted on his site, Montreal Historic Photos, a picture taken by Conrad uh, Poirier, the great Montreal photographer, of Tony Demers. Um, a photo from him on the Broken Bone line. This was a short-lived union um, of Demers, uh, Elmer Locke, and Maurice Richard, uh, two of whom went on to become Hockey Hall of Famers. Tony Demers most decidedly did not uh, dub the Broken Bone line because Locke and Richard suffered uh, broken limbs on the ice while uh, Demers broke his leg in an automobile accident. In very short order, Christian Gravner posted a story about Tony Demers on his site, Coolopolis. Um, now, now, Christian scooped me before. Um, you know, he hasn't really scooped me. I rely on him a lot for research. Um, and um, I've said it before. He, uh, in, um, in the halls of Montreal, Quebec, true crime, Christian is, is really one of the, in the 2.0 internet era, he is the he is the founder of it. He is the guy who started it. Um, now, I, now I often I I choose not to read what he's written uh, if I'm working on a piece because I don't want to be influenced by it. Uh, in this case, uh, I guess I discovered it about about here about this point in the the research. I'd already decided to do a story on Tony Demers, and we'll get to that. Um, but it, 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 it was at this time in the research that I read it. Well, I, well, I, can't, I skimmed it. Um, more as a way to ensure that I wouldn't step on his toes. Uh, um, and again, I tell you I'm firm that uh, I did not do the podcast on Tony Demers because of Mario and Christian. Um, as I said, I got the inspiration from the French posting. Um, it's sort of like, hey, why not a hockey story? Uh, um, so I don't think I'm in danger of pinching any of Coolopolis's uh, information. There's there's enough that drew me into this story uh, that I'm interested in. Um, um, and um, this is anyway. This is not really an episode about a, a hockey player murderer. Um, you should probably know my style well enough by now when it appears that like I'm talking about one thing I'm actually talking about um, something else there are certainly better known hockey cases we could cover there's there's Bill Barilko whose plane crashed in 1951 with investigators not finding the wreckage for over a decade the year before, in 1950, um, almost the entire Soviet hockey team died in a plane that went down in heavy snowstorms. Um, uh, most recently, 2011, there was the plane crash that took the lives of 26, uh, again, um, Russian hockey players. Tim Horton, Pele Lindbergh died in auto accidents. Of course, there's the, uh, the, the Humboldt Broncos bus crash, uh, 2018. Um, 2019, uh, Austrian player Florian Johnny was murdered. So, uh, we could certainly do that. Um, 
<laughs> Bill Barocco. <laughs> Disappeared last summer. He was at the hockey rink. <laughs> I stole this from an Opeachy hockey card. From my banana seat bike. <laughs> uh, uh, I could lose my um, Canadian credibility. I don't know if I'm really a tragically hip fan. But um, our story concerns a Montreal Canadiens hockey player. And the year is 1949. And here's some details on Tony Demers. Portions of this story come from the 1940s Sherbrooke record reporter Cuthbert Jones. Tony Demers... And we're going to get this right out of the way. I'm going to say Demers. Uh, when I spoke to my father about it, he remembered Demers. Uh, but for consistency's sake, we're going to go with Demers. So Tony Demers was close to being one of the NHL's greatest hockey stars. Um, he, um, he had the talent. He was known to have one of the hardest shots in the game. He joined the Montreal Canadiens full-time in 1939, but in four seasons played less than 100 games and scored just 20 goals. Demers was prone to injury and illness. He was often out with the flu or a cold. Then came periods of food poisoning and mysterious stomach ailments. In uh, 1941, um, as we said, Demers crashed his car, car that he was driving, into a tree and broke his leg. This was all journalist code covering for the reality that Tony Demers was a boozer. By 1943, coach Dick Irvin had had enough with him and he sent him to the minors. 1944 saw Demers' last professional NHL appearance. He managed just one game with the New York Rangers. What followed was a brief period of minor league stardom, primarily in Sherbrooke, Quebec, with the Quebec Professional Hockey League, the QPHL. The season prior to the event saw Demers play his best hockey, in 60 games with the Sherbrooke St. Francis, he scored 53 goals, 58 assists, and was awarded the league's Vimy Trophy for most gentlemanly player. In the port of Amsterdam, there's a sailor who sings of the Enter Anita Robert. When this story broke in the fall of 1949, Demers had first only been detained as a material witness for a coroner's inquest into the death of 32-year-old Anita Laberge Robert of Kodakook. There's a sailor who dies full of fear. 
drunken town fight in the port of Amsterdam. Second point, Coda Cook. I've heard old timers say Quetzi Cook. We're going with Coda Cook. Live with it. Anita Robert lived in Quetzi Cook. <laughs> <laughs> with her parents, Mr. and Mrs. John LaBerge. Cotacook, Quebec is about a 10-minute drive south of Compton. And you know Compton because that's where my sister Teresa uh, died. So 10 minutes from Compton, 15 minutes further from Lennoxville, and 10 minutes even further um, south from Sherbrooke. So altogether, it's a little over a half-hour drive from Sherbrooke to Cotacook if you want to get your bearings for the story. So uh, north to south, it goes uh, Sherbrooke, a little further south, Lennoxville. It's about 10, 15 minutes away. A little further south, Compton, 15 minutes away, south. Um, and then south even further, still 10 minutes Coda Cook. Over 20 minutes in, it's a geography lesson. Okay. Despite residing with her parents, uh, Anita Robert was married uh, to a man named Paul Robert. Thus, Anita Laberge Robert. Um, Robert, Paul Robert, was living out of province at the time, working as a chef at a resort in Banff, Alberta. In fact, the morning... Uh, after she died, Anita's intention was to travel and join her husband at the Banff Springs Hotel. Now, into the LaBerge Robert picture enters Tony Demers. The family LaBerge had only met the minor hockey league player the evening of their daughter's death. It's not entirely clear how long Anita um had been acquainted with Demers at first. Um, Demers lived in downtown Sherbrooke at the Hotel Union, which was uh, at that time at the corner of King Street and Alexandre, uh, Alexander. On the afternoon of the murder, Thursday, September 15th, 1949, 31-year-old Tony Demers drove his 1938 Chevrolet coach from Sherbrooke to Kodakook to meet Anita Robert. Demers stopped for a couple of drinks along the way at the Kodakook House Hotel before returning there with Robert for a couple more drinks. The couple then drove to Sherbrooke where Demers had to call on a number of local business establishments about some sporting advertisement deals he had. Then around supper time, the couple drove back to Kodakook, stopping to have more drinks with the manager of the Georgian Hotel in Lennoxville. Let me put my arms around your head. Gee, it's hot. Let's go to bed. Don't forget to turn on the light. That early evening, Demers first met Anita's parents and her two visiting sisters at the family home in Kodakook. 
after introductions, Demers went out and he bought three bottles of beer and a bottle of rye, which everyone enjoyed at the La Berge home. Uh, by the time of the trial, this detail appears to have been dropped or modified so that the consumption of alcohol within the La Berge home was not part of the story. Um, I think by trial, uh, it, it says that the daughters joined um, joined Demers and, and, and Anita and the father at the Coda Cook Hotel, but that seems like an inflation of what was about to happen. So when the the booze is finished um, at the home, John LaBerge, the father, joins Anita and Demers at the Coda Cook House for one more, one more, <laughs> one more drink. Uh, and an employee observes that Demers was not sober. Uh, <laughs> And he, he became belligerent. Uh, he particularly he began arguing, well, with everybody, but um, he was abusive to Anita. So the three left the establishment with LaBerge returning home and Anita and Tony Demers starting for Magog. Um, and this was around you know, like 10 o'clock at night. There had been some kind of dispute at the LaBerge home before leaving. Mrs. LaBerge objected to her daughter going out with Tony Demers. Demers had been clowning around with the family, flexing his muscles to impress all the girls. At one point, he took off his shirt and said, uh, to show that I'm no schoolboy. <laughs> I'm going to take that again. <laughs> At one point, he took off his shirt to show that I'm no school. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, At one point, he took off his shirt to show that he wasn't a schoolboy. Demers argued with both parents. Uh, Mrs. LaBerge said Anita seemed afraid of Demers and yet fascinated by him. Her husband agreed, stating that Anita seemed afraid of displeasing him and did not oppose any of his remarks. Even though she was a married woman, Demers expressed that he wished to marry Anita. Earlier in Lennoxville, he introduced Anita to the Georgian hotel manager as his wife. And yet the parents let their daughter go off with him. Mrs. LaBerge remarked that Anita was clever, well-educated, and popular, but her mind was turned. this point in the story, uh, as there were no witnesses, only Demers and Robert truly know what happened. In uh, Tony Demers' version of events, the couple then drove to Magog, 
which uh, which is about a forty five minute drive northwest through some very rural, dense forested country. Um, they would have passed through uh, Ayers Cliff before arriving in Magog, which was and and is now um, a resortish touristy town uh, at the north northernmost tip of Lake. Memphromagog. At some point, uh, Demers says that Anita tried to throw herself out of the moving vehicle because she thought that Tony wouldn't love her anymore after having met her parents. Uh, the car lands in a ditch. Then uh, Anita Robert takes the wheel while Demers tries to push them out. According to Demers, uh, Anita eventually fell on conscience. He then placed uh, her in the back seat of the car, and he said that when he tried talking to her, she didn't answer. Demers went to sleep in the front seat of the car, and when he awoke, it was daylight. On the morning of Friday, September 16th, Tony Demers visited a friend, uh, Robert Pruneau, in Little Lake, uh, known today as Lake, Lake Magog, saying that he had something serious to show him. Demers then took Pruneau to Pruneau's cottage, which Demers had broken into, where the badly beaten Anita Robert lay on the sofa, naked and covered in a blanket. Pruneau urged Demers to take her to the hospital at once. Before departing, Demers asked for a change of clothes, then instructed Pruneau to take his bloodied clothes to the cleaners in Sherbrooke. Demers drove Anita Robert to La Providence Hospital uh, in Magog. When the doctor asked what had happened, Demers replied, I guess it was a fight. Demers left the hospital a number of times that morning and early afternoon. On returning for the third time, he told the doctor, we would just as soon not have this known, and if you don't speak to anyone about it, I'll give you a good reward. Well, Johnny is a man, and he's bigger than her. I guess the bruises won't show if she wears long sleeves, but the space in her eyes. Anita. LaBerge Robert died that afternoon at La Providence Hospital in Magog. The autopsy revealed that Robert was bruised from the legs to the head. She had a black eye and her nose had been broken. Robert suffered multiple blows, dying due to hemorrhaging in her skull. Her injuries were caused by, quote, blows struck by a blunt weapon such as a fist. 
I am not of the opinion that she jumped or fell out of a car, the medical examiner added. Anita's parents were not aware of what had happened the night of September 15th until a reporter who showed up on their doorstep accidentally let slip the news that their daughter had died. When Mrs. LaBerge realized what had happened, her reaction was immediate. I told her not to go out with him. She should have listened to me. I had a premonition that something terrible had happened when I did not hear from her all day today. But this is a frightful thing. A horrible thing. And and then as if like from a script from 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 Oscar Metinier's Grand Guignol, she turns to her husband and says, You should have kept her from going with him. I mean, it's like horrible. It's like like uh, the best, the worst kitchen sink drama. It's like something like, it's like Emile Zola or McTeague. And it, it, like there's this force, this Greek predeterminism uh, with the fates of Demers and Robert that um, is, uh, I don't know, for me, I, I find it really powerful, unbelievable, um, more than, uh, you know, a one-off hockey story, just, uh, and, and there's pictures, there's a lot of stuff that I found this round, but there's, there's particularly a photo, I, I think it came from La Tribune in Sherbrooke, the French paper of the parents uh, Mr. and Mrs. John LaBerge and, uh, you know, their faces are like, oh, daddy. Uh, oh. And there's our feature, my grandfather's clock. Um, <laughs> oh, well, it's now part of the show, right? <laughs> the second time. Um, uh, Anyway, there's 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 like a force there. You should have kept her from going with him. Oh, incredible. This story is often uh, painted with shades of, oh, poor Tony. He could have been such a big hockey star if it wasn't for that one unfortunate slip of character. One writer stated that Tony Demers' plight was, quote, one of the sadder stories in the hundred-year saga of the Montreal Canadiens, end quote. Sadder for who? They go on to argue that the, the details remain sketchy when, for me, they're perfectly clear and they were documented in court record. At the trial... Anita's sister, Bella, testified that she had seen Demers and Anita Robert uh, the previous year at a guest house in Montreal. Demers had an argument with Anita, struck her, broke her glasses, and again gave her a black eye. 
when Bella tried to intervene, Demmer shouted, I'll kill you and your sister too. Also at trial, a statement was revealed from uh, the morning of uh, Robert's death in which Demers told police that he had, quote, slapped her face and struck her with his fist after she had cursed him. Demers also told police that he had known Robert for seven years and admitted having dated her for two years. Post-mortem photos shown to the jury of Anita Robert clearly revealed the black eye, the broken nose, the blows to the head and body. The defense counsel protested, arguing that the photos were, quote, immoral. For over two hours, Demers commanded the witness stand in his own defense. Uh, some say two. I've also read 45 minutes. Um, anyway, he's up there a long time, and he was described as giving testimony calmly, coolly, and occasionally with flashes of humor. Uh, prosecutor Henry Monty, I think, got it right. He called Demers, uh, quote, a good actor, suave, and with a soft voice attempting to impress the jury. He had a wonderful memory of what happened the night of the tragedy, but couldn't remember to answer any incriminating questions. It took the jury just 10 minutes to find Tony Demers guilty of manslaughter, reduced from the original charge of murder. A murder conviction would have meant Demers would hang. Manslaughter carried a life sentence of 25 years. But the jury asked for clemency, which Justice Cesar Gervais granted, sentencing him to 15 years in prison. Judge Gervais tried to talk tough, arguing that the sentence would put an end to your brilliant career as an international athlete. The truth was Demers had already played 18 years and an eternity for most hockey players, and his career was never brilliant. Demers served eight years. He was paroled in 1959 and occasionally spotted coaching or playing in uh, old-timers games. My father probably saw him one Saturday morning at the uh, Montreal Forum. At sentencing, uh, Judge Gervais also argued that Tony Demers had no prior criminal record. Though that may be technically true, um, he did have brushes with the with the law, and he was hardly a saint. Remember the car crash and the broken leg? That incident happened coming back to Montreal from a, a joyride in Valleyfield after midnight. Um, he could have killed the passengers, uh, his then wife, who eventually left him, and uh, his brother, his sister in law. Demers. Uh, 
brilliant career could have ended right there. In March 1945, Demers was charged with violent theft from a hotel keeper in Chambly, where he was born. Behavior that appeared consistent with his belligerence at the Cook Bar. Uh, he was later uh, acquitted of the theft, violent theft at trial. Um, and then in the spring of 1949, this is the this is the same week he was awarded that Vimy Trophy for his uh, gentlemanly uh, player conduct. Demers was discovered playing in uh, the B-League playoffs for Dorian under the assumed name B. Taylor. Demers was suspended for 10 games, but in a pattern that would uh, prove familiar and, and some might argue fatal. He was given leniency again, or uh, presciently. Uh, he's allowed to serve the suspension at the beginning of the following season. That's when there's there's no stakes, not while his team, the Sherbrooke St. Francis, was making a playoff run. So Demers' run of excuses and missteps uh, was wearing thin, even by that point, but not enough to result in any meaningful consequence. Uh, I think the only thing he was learning was that you could get away with bad behavior and talk your way out of things. Uh, what the prosecutor had referred to as uh, a good actor attempting to impress. As we said, uh, Tony Demers' life after serving eight years was uneventful. Uh, I'll put on the, the website, TeresaLore.com, uh, <laughs> Teresa Laura, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E, point com. There's a bunch of photos I found, um, including photos of Anita Robert. There's two. Um, but there's a photo um, after he was released, after parole, uh, of him playing in a Sherbrooke Old Timers League in 1967-68. In the photo, Demers is number five. Um, for a period, he, he, he was a, he was a manager at a driving range in Sherbrooke. Uh, he worked as a foreman at Sifto Ice Salt for a while. He had a depanneur at the corner of Concier and Murray, uh, in downtown Sherbrooke, just across the river. Um, I just remembered when, when, when people were trying to guess, uh, what this, uh, on this website, um, somebody said there was a a murder of a young woman in Sherbrooke, a hockey player. Somebody just chimed in immediately. Was he a colored player? <laughs> no, no, he was not a colored player. After his death at the age of 80 in 1997, the Kota Historical Society had this to say about Tony Demers. He not only paid his debt to society, but he set an example of himself during his rehabilitation to, by becoming a model prisoner. All the people that knew him thought he had really made an effort to redeem himself since his terrible business years earlier. 
He could have had a more storied career with the Canadiens if only he had been more serious, and above all, if he had known his own physical strength. Um, yeah. I mean, I get it. Uh, I get the appreciation. But even even if we were to believe that, uh, Demers murdered Anita Robert six years after his professional hockey career with the Montreal Canadiens was over. He was shown the door by Dick Irvin in 1943. Anita Robert died in 1949. Um, so his behavior did not uh, interrupt his illustrious uh, career. The career was done. It was, it was in the you know, in the chopper. Memory is a uh, powerful narcotic. Um, you don't you don't want to go stepping on mythology of the Montreal's most storied sports franchise. Um, it's it's an inconvenient truth that uh, Jeanette Renault sang at the wedding of a uh, Hell's Angel. Or that Flash in the Pan star, the goaltender Jose Theodore, had Hell's Angels um, phone numbers in his cell phone. Recently, uh, um, uh, Maurice the Rocket Richard's uh, younger brother, Henri, the Pocket Rocket Richard, <laughs> that really was his nickname, uh, the Pocket Rocket. <laughs> So, so Henri died um, after a long battle with uh, Alzheimer's, um, and, and he's he's one of the most celebrated athletes in hockey. Uh, the man has won; he won eleven Stanley Cup championships. But by by some accounts, Henri Richard was a real son of a bitch. Um, his older brother never once, never once, invited him into his home in Hunsik. Uh, Svetlana Boim uh, calls nostalgia history without guilt. Call Duplessis uh, a fascist, a Trudeau a queer, Marois a uh, xenophobic old cow. These, these folks, they're politicians. They're marked targets, but don't attack our heroes. Don't mess with our nostalgia don't be a buzzkill on our collective high of the past except that there's nothing heroic or tragic about tony demers he didn't have a character flaw he consistently abused his privilege over a period of years, Tony Demers verbally and physically abused Anita Robert, and then he killed her. When you begin to chisel at what's past preserved, it's bound to make some folks uncomfortable. A contemporary Russian saying goes that the past has become much more unpredictable than the future. In an essay on friendship, 
Svetlana Boim wrote, Friendship is not about having everything illuminated or obscured, but about conspiring and playing with shadows. Its goal is not enlightenment, but luminosity, not a quest for the blinding truth, but only for occasional lucidity and honesty. In her obituary for The New Yorker, Boim died of cancer in 2015 at the age of 56. Boim's author friend, Masha Gessen, wrote, Once after reading a book of mine, she said, You write very directly, don't you? I don't think it was a compliment. Svetlana Boim also wrote about the exiles who dream about imagined homelands. Uh, She said at once, homesick and sick of home. Uh, That's a pretty apt description of me. This is who killed Teresa. If you like the podcast, uh, please rate us high on wherever you listen to us. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, etc. Um, you can follow us on social media. I'm at JusticeGuy at J-U-S-T-U-S-G-U-Y on Twitter. Also, the podcast handle is at Teresa Lore at T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E. Um, on Facebook there's a Facebook page called Who Killed Teresa the podcast you can follow us there all kinds of uh, interesting updates not only about the podcast but about um, various um, Quebec uh, unsolved uh, crimes murders missing persons and as I said before there's the website TeresaLore.com there's a um, YouTube channel with videos Speaking of videos on uh, the, the page for uh, this podcast at TeresaLore.com, I'll post, post, post some video clip, a short video clip of Svetlana Boim. That's pretty interesting. It's what you heard at the beginning of uh, this episode. Um, I kind of, as Koi promised you an update, um, some... Um, Going back to the eastern townships, um, well, this was it. Um, It was an easing into getting back to um, the murders, the unsolved murders from uh, 77, 78, uh, more so as a geography uh, tutelage, um, get you oriented uh, back to Sherbrooke, Lennoxville, Compton, Magog, Ayers Cliff. They should all be... um, familiar places to you like uh, Memphremagog if they're not um, get ready because they're going to become very familiar um, mm, I don't know uh, if can I give you a more of an update uh, I, I can only say um, 
the publication date for the book stands um, September 22nd. So what is that? That's five, five months away. Uh, the manuscript is with legal now. Um, after uh, four or five edits uh, we've had, um, I, I'm telling you, right up, right up until we still have edits. I, I still have stuff that we're going to cram in um, after the attorneys look at it. So we're not done. We're still trying to get stuff in there. And um, I'm telling you, this is a glacial process. Uh, uh, I, I, I don't know if I'd want to do another book, quite frankly. It's been a three-year process. It's like the last thing I want to do is discuss um, unsolved murders in Quebec in 77, 78. But I fear that for a while I'm going to have to talk about it a little more. Really ready to move on. Although, from from your perspective, I haven't said a damn thing. Uh, it's very strange. <laughs> it's very, very interesting. Uh, it's kind of why it's, it's a relief to do a case like Tony Demers, Anita Robert, because it's just like you, you know, it's like concentrated orange juice. You can get in there, do the work, and release the product. And maybe it doesn't have the impact of a manuscript. Um, I don't know. Who knows uh, the state of, of that thing? I, 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 there's so much that's unpredictable right now that I, I, I wouldn't want to say. But it's very satisfied. Uh, ing to to do this work I, I i love having the podcast um i'll continue to do it i'm i'm glad there's dedicated readership makes me very happy and uh, uh thank you as always and that's a good place right there to close uh this has been who killed Teresa. i'm your host john allure have yourselves a great great day Hey, Tom, I'm heading to Walmart because you know what season it is. Oh, is it pumpkin spice season? Uh, no, it's flu season and Walmart gives flu shots. Yes, flu season is here and we've got your back with flu shots where you already shop. Our expert pharmacy team administers each flu shot and can answer your vaccine questions. Stay safe this flu season. Stop by your local Walmart pharmacy and get your flu shot today. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.